0: Welcome to the tuscarawas county anti-drug coalition podcast bringing you open and honest conversations about resources in tuscarawas county now here's your host jody salvo hi this is jody salvo welcome to the tuscarawas county anti-drug coalition podcast i am thrilled today because this particular topic kind of has a piece of my heart right now so we're going to be talking about project hope and it's an effort It's happening here in Tuscarora County, and it involves the Addiction Task Force, it involves the Anti-Drug Coalition, and I will kind of say every agency, um, social service organization in the fight here to just have a healthy Tuscarora County, um, have our residents thriving, um, free of addiction and mental health um, issues, or at least get the support we need. So, with that, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: I'm Natalie Bolin. I am the director of the Alcohol, Drug Addiction, Mental Health Services Board of and Carroll Counties.
2: Nice. I am Kathy Bazaar, and I always say this, I blow my anonymity every time I do this. (laughs) Um, I am a uh, recovering alcoholic addict. I am a peer recovery coach for Ohio Guidestone.
0: Nice. Okay. I'm so glad you both are here, and I think I'm going to just steer it right to Natalie right now. Why don't you tell us about Project HOPE? Well,
1: Project Hope began um, when we saw that in response to the pandemic, our overdose numbers in Tuscarawas County were going through the roof. Um, In the height of the pandemic, which was 2017, we were losing around six people. We, We lost six people to overdose deaths in the first six months. In 2020, we lost 14 people to overdose deaths in the first six months. And I just got updated numbers yesterday from um, the county and we're up to 28 lives lost. So
0: So I want people to hear that from July 1 to October 1, we had 14 additional deaths. Is that correct? no. No. January 1st to June
1: 30th, we had 14 deaths. From January 1st, to September 30th, we had 28 deaths. So we've lost an additional testing has come back and we've lost a total of 28 people between January 1st and today.
0: But what I was saying, like they really multiplied. Correct. It it was 14 from January to the end of June, but then it was an additional 14 July 1 until September. So, I mean, we've seen a huge uptick, correct, even in the last Three months. Correct. Okay. So 28 deaths. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. That is higher than, let me look
1: at my numbers. That is higher than the total number that we lost in 2017, which we had considered the The height height. of the pandemic. Right.
0: Of the opioid epidemic. Yes. Okay. So we got the coroner's report in July.
1: So, and then that prompted us in the addiction task force to form a subcommittee. And we decided, how do we want to address this? So, and we tossed out a lot of different ideas and Kathy was part of the subcommittee and Jody was part of the subcommittee. And what we finally landed on was a program called Project Hope. Um, and Project Hope fundamentally is the existence of three different silhouettes in nine of our cities in Tuscarawas County. And in each city, there is a black silhouette that indicates the total number of deaths in the county as of June 30th. The second silhouette, which is a gray silhouette, indicates the number of overdoses in that city in particular. And we talked about those two messages in our subcommittee and and decided, you know, we really want to bring a message of hope to this as well. And how do we do that? And so the third silhouette in each city is yellow. It's painted yellow. And it has the words on it, there is always hope, along with the phone numbers and information about local treatment providers and and Project Narcan distributors, which is um, the Opiate Overdose Reversal Program. all of those silhouettes will be brought to um, the courthouse, the Tuscarawas County Courthouse. Jody, is that date the
0: eighteenth? 18th? Eighteenth, uh, 18th, the, the week of the eighteenth, we'll be bringing them.
1: And then the final event is going to be October twenty fifth, from five to six at the courthouse, where all twenty seven of the silhouettes from the cities in Tuscarawas County will be placed around the courthouse, and we'll hold an event. Um, on the courthouse steps, just honoring the loss and, and planning for the future and discussing hope options. Awesome. Very neat.
0: So, a little bit more. What happened yesterday?
1: So, yesterday, Jody helped to organize, really organized, this um, amazing press conference on the steps of the courthouse. And we had representatives from federal government, from our state government. We had um, Brad Hillier, Representative Brett Hillier, um, who is our local representative at the state level. We had our mayor, we had commissioners, we had family members, treatment providers, we had people in recovery. Um, And they spoke about Project HOPE and the goal of the initiative and what we hope for the community. um, and, And just really asked the county as a whole to work with us on this effort to decrease our opiate epidemic and help transition our community into treatment.
0: So how does Project HOPE do that? Like what is the underlying hope for Project HOPE? You know, we know that
1: awareness is one of the most significant factors in impacting something like this, whether it was the pandemic or whether it's our opiate epidemic, um, making sure the community is aware of what the reality of the situation is. And the reality of the situation is we are losing more individuals to opiate overdoses than we ever have before. Along with that comes stigma reduction. One of the biggest reasons people won't seek treatment is because they're ashamed, because they're afraid, because honestly, they, they are not sure where to turn. Um, so we really wanted to make sure that we took away the the stigma related to um, the, the disease of addiction. And we talk a lot about how comparable and how similar A mental health or an addiction disease is to a physical disease. And just as if you're diagnosed with diabetes, you you really do need full wraparound support and doctor support and guidance. It's the same thing if you have a mental health or addiction. Um, We really do need to wrap all the different types of services around you. And there is a biological component to this. So while part of the goal of Project HOPE is to let the community know um, the state of our overdose affairs. The other part of it is to let them know that there is treatment. There yeah. is treatment. There are resources. There is new. There are new things like peer support, which Kathy can talk some about. Um, but the the diagnosis or the experience of addiction is not the end of someone's story. There is the potential of hope, and there is the potential of recovery. Nice
0: and absolutely, Kathy. You're not going to get out of this without speaking. There's a lot that that people need to hear your voice. Um, But I do want to say, you know, that stigma is certainly a barrier and, and you touched on it yesterday when you spoke on sometimes when you're in the midst of addiction, feeling like you have no value or people see you a certain way. And one of the beautiful things I saw in the press conference, and that's a video that I would encourage people to look at. If you could not feel the support and the love and the concern of our leaders and our county and our state, and even our federal le- leaders, like they get it. And you know what? They care. And I want anyone that's struggling or a family member that might be ashamed of this is going on in my house or family to know, you know, no one's pointing fingers. Like we realize that addiction is a real thing and we understand mental health issues are real things. And we want people to get help and we want them to know there is help and we want them to know, Hey, no one's pointing a finger here. We just want you to know that we got your back and whatever we can do it as a community we want to be doing. So you're not in a situation where you feel devalued or hopeless um, or isolated. So I just wanted to say that with the press conference, I think that was neat yesterday as well. Kathy, I'm going to turn to you because you have a whole different perspective. Um, and what, what does this effort mean to someone that's in
2: recovery? You know, I expressed that yesterday. Um, I have family members that are in this field. Okay. Um, and they're, you know, from a different state and they cannot get over how this community is. They have nothing like this. The support, the people that come together, how meetings are consistent, everybody's too busy in other places. They just, you know, we don't have time to do all that. Um, I got involved with um, working for Ohio Guidestone. Um, Quick little thing, I actually got that job there by Volunteering, I would volunteered there for five years. I I would go there every Thursday night and talk to the girls, you know. And uh, then then the job became available. So I worked at the Harbor House and now the Pier. And then Natalie was looking for someone for you know a peer crisis response person, and here I am. I'm, you know, like I say many times, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude. I never take my sobriety for granted and um, cause I can't and um, yes. (laughs) And that people accept me for who I am. And that's the thing like you're trying to convey about people out there. We don't see that when we're in the depths of our addiction, we just see the bottom. We have no self-esteem. We have no self-worth. So for us to see you know, I talk to people in early recovery, and it's hard for them to make that connection because we're intimidated. Yeah. You know, I got a few years behind me, and I get intimidated by some of the people I'm around, you know? Yeah. I was saying that, like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, you know, how did this happen? Um, so when you're in early addiction, oh, when or in the depths of it, oh, my gosh, you just don't see that, you know? Um, I've been... Rattle in my brain, like, how to reach these people that are walking in parking lots, sleeping down by the river. It's not safe for me to go there by myself. But do you know how much I would love to just go down there and say, no one's judging you out there? Yeah. There's no judgment here. I understand how you feel, and I understand that you feel there is no hope, but there is, you know? Can I stop you one second? Can you explain to
0: people what your, what your job is, because I think that'll help even just
2: people understanding. Okay. They call it a peer recovery coach. You'll see peer recovery supporter, peer recovery specialist. And it's somebody who has fought addiction and has, you know, worked a program of some sort and um, has gotten sober and they help others because we can connect with another person because it's, on a personal level, like now, I, is there guidelines how long you need to be in recovery before you act as a oh, um, it depends upon what agency you work for. I believe ours would at least like three years, okay, yeah, you know, because it's unfortunate. We're very lucky here how it's going in other places, it's not going as well. okay, so yeah, it's good to have a good good sobriety under you. You know, um, so that you don't relapse yourself. Okay. And, you know, because that has happened in other areas. And that's, yeah, you know, not good. So, um, yeah, I, I just talk to people about recovery. And I that's mean, awesome. that's, it's, you know, and I don't stick to one thing. I don't do what worked for me because it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. You know, and I don't judge other programs that work for people where, that can happen too, like well, this way or no way, and no. So that's good for our listeners to hear. There's not one
0: way no, to stay in long-term recovery. No.
2: Okay. No, not at all.
1: And I, I think we were in a meeting this morning, and Haley um, made a statement that I felt like really encompassed what peer support was. Do you remember what that was?
2: She said that she'd... First of all, Haley is my supervisor, and she always said that I touched her by, I always say we, I never say I this, I that, because I feel it is a we disease and it is a we recovery. I could not do it by myself. I needed help from others. I got myself there. So I needed people right. to care and but believe they cared. And You know, uh, Haley said, you know, even in her counseling, there's just that part of people that she can't reach because she doesn't understand it, you know? A lot of people do feel that way. Why would you do this over and over and over again? Why don't you, if you love your kids, why don't you stop? Mm -hmm. If you love, you know, your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, why? You know, and it's not about that. And that's what's hard for people to understand, Has nothing to do with love. Has nothing.
0: Would you be able to just tell our listeners, like, if you could really describe addiction from an addict's voice?
2: My addiction started so young. Okay, I'm almost afraid to tell you how young. Um, I was eight years old when I had my first blackout. Um. Yeah, put that beer in my body and said, oh, this is for me. Now, was that given to you? I was stealing it. Okay. You know, I was at a family party. They picked me to get the uh, pitchers of beer to bring to the big kids in the woods. And I started drinking it on my way.
0: Now, was there things that were going on in the house at that time that... Yes, you know,
2: um, <laughs> I was raised uh, Irish Catholic. Um In a a house where people weren't happy. And um, we had seven kids, no money. And um, my father didn't get a job until I was a year and a half old. And I am the youngest (laughs) of that seven. I didn't grow up with him in my early years, him drinking. The other ones experienced that. Um, But, you know, they divorced. I was nine um, just a lot of chaos, a lot of. We call it the unsupervised years. I okay. my siblings. We laugh about it when we'll talk. We'll tell about stories, and it's like when that happened. Ah, uh, and we go unsupervised, <laughs> you know. Um, but you know, there was that going on. But I never felt like I fit in. I never felt like I even fit in in my family. Okay. You know, I always felt like the odd one out, and I felt like that just growing up and going to school. So if I could be that person that might make you laugh, you may like me. If I can get something you want, you may like me. Um, I didn't hang around with the girls that intimidated me. I hung around with the ones that I Accepted felt. you. Or I felt better than. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, because look at me. Yeah, I can get this. I can get that. I was at, you know, but I grew up in an era where you didn't get in trouble. You know? Yeah. It was, you know, get out of here. Don't come back. That kind of thing. They felt sorry for me because I lived with my father. I used that. Oh, boy, did I use that? Um, I got kicked out of school. Wow. in no, ninth grade, because I didn't go, you know, and I was in like, those Wait.
0: unsupervised years. And those
2: unsupervised years, exactly. But things turned around. I uh, went to go live with my mother, but my disease didn't stop. And um, every weekend I drank, I was drinking every weekend from the time I was 12 and dabbling in other, you know, I was, yeah, if it was there, I did it. Okay. I smoked it. I just wanted to feel better, and um, I felt very abandoned. I mean, I found that out later on, you know. Uh, By the time I was 10, there was no women in my life. My mother and my sisters were gone out of the house, and um, yeah. But, you know, as a kid, you don't know what that is. You have no idea what that is. You know, and I was also brought up as Kathy can take it. She's tough. She can, you know, so... In my head, I would be like, "Hey, as tough as you guys think I am, but you know, I would, I would do and I would go, you know." But anyway, um, yeah. So my addiction started really early, and uh, but I ended early, <laughs> which nice. is a blessing nice, because nice. I crashed and burned young, you know. And I did the geographical cure. I took off, went about. attended two colleges. Never went to college. It was, they great party oh, in places. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I uh, lived with college people. Yeah. I went out west and did that in two different states. Um, you know, yeah, trying to find myself, but I kept bringing me with me and I didn't realize that every time I turned around, there she was. And, um, and like I say, and then things are going on, you're doing things you're ashamed of, you know, you're stealing, you know, um, I guess I can say this, um, you know, you wake up and you go. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Don't even remember that. Look out the window. Oh, what? my car is here. Don't even remember that. Yeah, I remember one time work, waking up at my father's house. I didn't even live with him. And I smoked at that time. And there was a cigarette burnt right to my fingers. Oh, okay. And there was a burn on the table. Wow. Didn't even remember going there. Never mind, you know, and... And did I say, I just went, oh, boy, you were lucky, you know? And, uh, you know, I used to check my car to make sure there was nothing on it. Did I hit somebody? Did I? Uh, Yeah. So by the time my drinking career and my drug career was ending, I was about mid, like, maybe 23. Okay. I was shaken in the mornings because I needed to drink. I'm 23 years old. I'm like... What the heck? You know? And um, I used to do that foxhole praying. Okay. Please let me die. I don't want to wake up. I don't want to feel like this. I can't go on like this. Because my family didn't want me anymore. They would treat me, I would say, like a hot potato. No, you take her. No, you take her. I don't want to. And um, I was just losing everything. You know? I, believe it or not, got a county job when I got out of high school. And, um... I had a good job, had my own apartment, had a car, all this. I'm still drinking and drugging, but yeah.
0: And And how long were you able to keep that?
2: Oh, I left because I moved to Texas and I was never coming back. I was 19 years old, you know, and um, I did end up coming back on a Greyhound bus with 17 boxes. (laughs) I said, you can't do that today either. I had everything, coffee, table, TV, everything was in boxes.
0: <laughs> you need to be moving track, <laughs> yeah, right? right.
2: <laughs> Just take a great Uh But anyway. So you had about nine
0: years yeah. of addiction.
2: Oh, yeah. What was your turning point? Like I say, that praying, that foxhole praying, because I wasn't, you know, I was raised in a church. Stopped going to church on a regular basis after my parents split up because I thought God was Catholic. So I call myself a recovering Catholic now. Um, Didn't understand why my mother could no longer attend church. And yeah, and it really like it, it did. It messed me up. But, of course, when I went to live with her, she wanted me to complete those Catholic, like, get, do my, you know, uh, confirmation and get things done. But I did it for her. And I, ne- I never attended church. So, during this time, I'm going to say for me, it messed me up where I didn't feel worthy of any kind of God. I didn't feel worthy of God. I, I, I did too many bad things, you know. Um, so, I... I had let that go okay. because I just had too much guilt, shame, and remorse that I carried around all the time. And um, when I was drinking like that and waking up, back in the day, they had quaaludes that they no longer have. I was eating six of them a day. Six. I don't know why, you know. The, you don't die, you know. Mm-hmm. I walked off a mountain. I walked off a mountain one time in Utah, and survived. Trying to do no. things, oh, or no, just I, not it, I accidentally. Not right okay. It was not a situation I was used to being in, okay. and I took two steps and, okay, I poop poof poofed all the way down. Um, but these are things, you know, and when you're in that, you don't say. Why is God keeping me alive? Why am I alive? There's better purpose here. I'm not meant to live a life with. You're not saying that stuff, you know. But when I got to that point of eating those quaaludes every day and drinking like that, that I said, if I keep this up, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I didn't want to die. And I didn't want my mother to have to bury me. And I didn't want my siblings to have to do that. I wanted to live. Okay. But I didn't know how. I didn't know how.
0: So how did you learn how to live?
2: <laughs> well.
0: Because I bet there's a lot of people that struggle with, they hate the situation they're in, and they're feeling that shame and guilt,
2: yes. but yet don't know how to live, which. Yeah. So um, at the time, I went to my mother and to my uh, Italian father, as I call him, because he ended up to be my biological father. I didn't find that out until I was 21, and then I really drank my face off. Um, Yeah, poor me, you know. We have a saying, poor me, poor me, poor me another drink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, I went to them, and they said, come in. But if you drink a drug, you're out of here. And I started from there. I went to a counseling service. This was up in the Adirondack Mountains in upstate New York. They were living there at that time. I went to Glens Falls is the name of the town and I went to a drug counselor. And I started, I started with her. And I went to her for quite a while. She recommended different programs to me to do in the community. And I didn't want to do them. Okay. I was like, I had no idea, but hey, it's not for me. Um, What do you think the barrier was? I didn't feel, I didn't, it it was my self-esteem. It was my self-worth. I did not have the courage. I didn't have that, yeah, just, I didn't have that courage to walk into a room and, like, here I am. Um, now, I, always, s- I always use liquid courage for everything, so.
0: I know everybody's story is different, but do you think that's a theme that you hear, that
2: taking that first step, oh. walking into a room? Or even going to counseling. I didn't even want to do that. It was my mother who pushed that. She was like, you need some help. And if you come from a family of addiction, Hopefully somebody breaks that. I call it break that cycle, that chain, and somebody gets help. And I did have um, a family member that was doing a twelve step program, but because I didn't want to do it, I said everything negative about her, like she's addicted. Now she's addicted to those meetings. Look at her. She's not even the same person anymore. I don't want to be that person. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I don't want to be like that. Mm -hmm. Because my family was complaining. Because they were like, she flits in, she Mm -hmm. flits out. She's not, you know, she's not around for things. And I'm like, I I don't want to become that. The stigma back in my day was if you worked a 12-step program, Mm -hmm. you were selfish. And -hmm. you're already selfish. So why do you, you know... I hear that all the time from families. They were never home before, and now they go to these meetings, and they're not home again. Okay. So I don't know. It's, it's just because you just don't have the confidence to change, you know. Um, you don't have the courage, yeah. you know, like that serenity prayer says, you know, uh, the courage to change. We, it's hard to have that when you really feel you have nothing to give, and that people are looking at you like that, it's very hard to make that first step. Now, can I ask you a question? I know the recovery community is so supportive of
0: each other. I know that. Um, but say if someone's not in recovery, is do you think community members can make a difference in helping encourage someone to take a step or go with someone or- Because often I get community members asking, what can I do, you know? And I think when you're having this conversation about that fear or lack of confidence, is there a way that other people outside of the recovery community can encourage you or encourage a person struggling?
2: Yes. Um, And maybe not to go to a, uh, you know, to church or, or to a meeting, but just to say, hey, I'll have a cup of coffee with you. And did you ever read this book? Did you okay. ever watch that movie? So not to
0: fix you. I just want people to f- hear yeah, this. Not just to, to fix to you, to
2: say, you're worthy. You're worth something. And I want to spend time with you. You know, I'm not judging you. And there is a better life. Yeah. There is a better life and i'm going to treat you like i do anybody else i i have to do that in my job because not everybody wants that kind of help some of them are there because they have to be there when you you know you know uh when you have to go because a judge wants you to go you know um it's it's not the same yeah. it's just not the same and you just hope they're going to get something out of it but um yeah, but, oh, yeah, community people, like I said, if somebody walks by you when you're walking in a parking lot and you're all strung out and they just kind of smile at you, they don't go, oh, grab the kids and go get away from that person, um, you know.
0: Because you're already feeling like oh, they have this perception of you. Oh,
2: yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, because you have no self-worth. You just have no self-worth. I bring this
0: up because Project Hope is intended to do a couple things. One is to help people understand the issue and understand addiction and show people resources. But I think that other part is to help community members understand how can we really reach out and let people know we care about them and move them to a place that they can get the services or whatever they need um, to step out of where they're at. And I think sometimes
2: we just need to hear, hey, this is what you can do. Just. Exactly, and because we don't see, we don't see that glimmer of hope anywhere. So if somebody who we really feel not worthy of gives us the time of day, it means a lot. I mean, granted, we walk away going, because you know, we think everyone has a motive, um, mm-hmm. saying, what, what was that all about, what, you know? But to me, it's those aha moments. And that's what happens. It happened to me in recovery. And then all of a sudden, something somebody might have been saying to me for years, and then all of a sudden you hear it, you know, because you got to work through those barriers. And, you know, when it happens, you know.
0: And you just said something that, I was in a conversation the other day with someone from recovery. And he was sharing that when someone reaches out to him to make that relationship or to have a cup of coffee, because of his life experience, and I know everybody's life experience is different. He's really suspicious of that first cup of coffee. You know, are you trying to fix me? You're trying to get me to go to church. are you trying to, and just having trouble trusting that someone just cares for you because you're a person of worth. Um, so I think, I guess I just want to say, I've, I kind of heard that a little bit in what you were just saying and to help listeners understand it's just so important that we're not fixing anyone. We are just loving on people. Um,
1: and I think that uh, you made such a good point and I think that you, you said it so well and it didn't occur to me until you just said it so well, but it's, it's a case of which came first, the chicken or the egg. So you have to have some confidence to go into a change situation to think I'm willing to go to treatment or 12 step meetings or whatever it is that's that's your most appropriate path. But how do you get that confidence until you're able to start to make some changes? So I almost feel like that's kind of the 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 difficult position of addiction is you you have to be tell me if this is correct, Kathy, you you almost sound like you have to find from the bottom of your soul, from the depths of your toes, some tiny level of either confidence or maybe even just faith that I can try this and make a change. Because typically for those of us who make changes, the confidence is there in the, in the first place, but
2: not with our addicted population. I say this often, it comes out of here. And it goes to here, and okay. you know, unfortunately, I can't give that to somebody. We can't give it to somebody, like you said. It's that feeling. Mm-hmm. Everybody's bottom is different, and that has to be so frustrating for people who don't understand addiction, because it's you know, and I've seen so much, and it's like, oh my gosh, they're still not done, you know. Mm. I mean, we're not done till we're done. And unfortunately, sometimes we're not done till- We are done. We're buried, yes, So, yeah, till we're done. Um, It's that willingness, Mm -hmm. it's that willingness that all of a sudden we're like, all right, we're willing to try. You know, I tried stopping. When I stopped at 23, I went, I didn't do anything for a year. Then you have that person who says, come on, it's been a year. Don't you think you can have one? Don't you think? I knew, though. I knew in my heart. No way. I knew, but I did it anyway because I wasn't getting any help. I was doing it on my own. And that year that I did that, I got um, really, really drunk a couple of times and I was actually with um, people who did not use. They didn't know me like that. And they said, whoever that was, we don't want to see that person ever again. Because I actually had a couple of women that offered me to go into business with them to run a restaurant. And they were like, you're out. <laughs> like, who was that person? Okay. You know? Yeah. And a lot of us turn our drug or our alcoholism into a dysfunctional relationship. And, uh, and 99% of the time, I say 99% it may be wrong. I see people go back out in early recovery, it's over relationship. Mm. It's over because we're addicted to I, 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 I was a kid when I worked at the Harbor House. Oh, he said, hello, <sighs> I'm in love, you know? <laughs> But that's how we, yeah, because any, anything that's going to make us feel good, that instant gratification is what we strive for because that's what we feel like we've been missing. Even though you could have had the most loving family. Um, I had a nephew, 25 years old, die of, of, um, this, uh, of an overdose. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, he he's on my husband's side of the family. Very, very well-to-do family. Uh, so I always say it has no discrimination. Um, and, but he was always that kid in the family. It was so funny because me and my husband got along with him. I said, there was always that attraction. I, I would always say, he's one of us, <laughs> you know, he's just one of us. And You know, and you could always tell, like, he never fit in. It had nothing to do with love, and it had nothing to do with going to private schools and living in two different countries while you were growing up. They were in Singapore, they were in Paris. Um, You know, and he got into some trouble. They sent him to one of the finest rehabs in Florida, and then he had to go through a court system being tested. The day he graduated, the day he graduated, I didn't have the heart. His father broke my heart. Not that his mother didn't, but his father was convinced. He said, Kathy, I'm telling you, it it wasn't drugs. It was because there was no evidence at the time they had to wait. You knew. My husband and I, we said he celebrated. Mm -hmm. We knew he celebrated, you know. Um, Yeah. And that's so sad. So sad. You know, because he never it didn't go from here to here. Yeah. I hear that in recovery court. I I was working with a guy, you know what they said? The whole 18 months I kept saying, as soon as I'm done, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get high as soon as I'm done. But I got him to, to admit that the second time he went through it was 18 months. I said, Will you think he said yeah I was. He goes, I'm not doing that this time, you know? Awesome. And he shared that with others and it was good. It was good for the judge to hear that because she was even like the whole time, like, and he said, yeah, I just wanted to be done, but I wasn't done using yeah. my, my drugs. So, yeah.
0: So, so you just uh, brought up recovery um,
2: court. Yeah.
0: Can you just share a little bit with the community? Oh. Uh, Cause that's, that's
2: it's it's special it's a, it is amazing it, yeah. it, it is so amazing um I appreciate your story just now it's not always perfect no right i God. I know what you're saying yeah um recovery court I said, who does this a judge person from the health department, the fire department sheriff um a counseling agency um I'm trying to think. Sometimes I go, uh, a case manager, and they sit before court starts and says, what's going on with these people? How can we help them? What can we do? I said, they take an hour. Well, now they even changed it. I think it's two hours. (laughs) Before court, every week, to do that for people they don't even know. Mm. And that's what I express to these people. Do you realize? So I like working with those recovery court people to let them know they do not have to do this. They don't know you. They see your record. By looking at your record, you think, you know, they want to, you know. Are they somebody they'd hang yeah. out with? No. <laughs> I said, but they want to help you. Because- so we have
0: the recovery court here, which does an amazing job. Yes. And I- I absolutely know the judges and everyone involved, yes. like you said, yes. really care. And you also mentioned going on the QRT, the quick response team. Yes. Tell um, people about that a little bit.
2: The quick response team um, is a sheriff. It's always the same sheriff, um, same as Troy. Uh, really nice man. Um, and then uh, fire department, the New Philly Fire Department, less uh He goes, and then it's always somebody from an agency. We're down to two now. Okay. Um, So, which is kind of good because they're glad now I'm going every other week. But we go out to the homes where the person had an overdose. It's, unfortunately, many times it's not where they live. It's where it happened. Okay. Or the address we get is of a of a family member, and so we go and we bring them in a packet of information from the community uh, recently I've added to that packet detox centers, meetings in the community, um, all uh, <laughs> You know, insurances, uh, you know, Medicaid or private, men, women, facilities all over the state. It's not just for here because it's not about just taking care of our own when it comes to people getting help. And I don't think they realize that either is that we just want people to get help regardless of where they go. And um, I'll tell you, it's sometimes it's not easy going on those calls because it's the family members you see. There was one day we went out, and three people cried on us that day. Mm. One was a grandfather, one was a mom, and one was a spouse. And I, and I don't care, those tough guys, you, you could tell we were all, like, shifting, like, you know. And um, I actually called my mother that day. Oh, yeah. And I said, Mom, and she goes, Kathy, we've been through this. And I go. I know, but I just want to tell you, I'm sorry again for what I put you through. Cause it's the families, man. They break your heart, and they are suffering. But there's help for them too. There's help for the families. There's there's Al-Anon um, out there. There's counseling services in this, you know, in the community that you can go to and know it's not your fault. My my mother used to say, "What did I do to you?" Mm. You know, what happened that this happened to you?
0: And that was probably before there was services yeah, and you assistance know, for oh,
2: families. Back then, they you didn't w- talk about s- it. No, you didn't talk about nothing. Nothing was in the paper. You yeah. know, they kept everything out of the paper. So, um, yeah, it's it it's sad, but a lot of families do think it's their fault. There's this one mother, it's unfortunate, but sometimes we've seen her son once or twice a week with an overdose. So, the last time we went there, she took one look at us and said, he's dead, isn't he? And we said, no. And, you know, and Wes explained, we would not be the people who come. So, when you see us, We're it's good. not for that. <laughs> yeah, right. But um, I've offered her many times places to go. And I even said, I'll take you. I'll go with you. You know, um, yeah, a sweet lady, just a sweet, broken-hearted mom that, yeah, it's it's sad. It's just sad what it's doing to the families as well.
0: I love that you have the
2: ability in your job and
0: with your heart to just meet people where they're at. That's just such a beautiful thing, so I appreciate that. I'm looking. I know we're running out of time, and oh. I kind of just want to have you back sometime because I think we could talk All day. I mean, first of all, I think there's so much going on in the county. Mm. I think you have such a beautiful perspective from being an addiction, being in really long-term recovery, um, and you're just honest and transparent. And if we had more time, I heard you yesterday at the press conference just talk about... um, you know, it's, it's still a struggle after many years of recovery, being in a pandemic in isolation, and isolation. And I think you're a, a great spokesperson to be able to just be honest and transparent and, you know, have experienced a life experience and yet walking alongside so many people in such unique ways, you know, the quick uh-huh. response team. So yeah. Kathy, I hate to stop because I, I just want to have you back, <laughs> um, but I also want to wrap up natalie what do we need to know about agency services i think the easiest well and i i just i sat mesmerized we just need to do another what one else
1: kathy what else do you want to say
0: um it was yeah it,
1: it was a tremendous story and a tremendous way to deliver it um it's very heartfelt and i think everybody will feel that
0: i do think we just need to have you yeah. for kathy and keep on talking because it it is riveting and I think it's very eye-opening
1: and helpful. One of the things that you said that I thought was really significant for the treatment realm is, you know, it doesn't connect every time. Sometimes you're, you're in there with your head and you're going through the motions and you're repeating what you need to repeat. But until that connection is made down here, it's not solid. Um, And so sometimes I'll hear people say they went to treatment five times or they've been in rehab seven times and they kind of become hopeless because it's been it's been done, been there, done that. Um, But I think what the most important thing is, it's not that treatment doesn't work. It's that that connection just hasn't been made yet. And no matter what a counselor does or what a doctor does, the person brings themselves into that room Mm -hmm. and with continued guidance and support from the person, the community and the family.
2: That connection does happen. Yes, you know what I always say. What do you say? Don't stop, mm-hmm. and until the miracle happens, because it will. The miracle will happen. So now, just I know keep this isn't great back. for
0: the listeners, but did you hear that poem that um, Kristen Macaulay read? Yes.
2: Yeah? Yes, the so hope.
0: Yeah, yeah, we almost mm-hmm. need to read it sometime about uh, just someone. They're walking down the road and they repeat an action, but each time they learn a little bit more, and finally it clicks. It's like a
2: light bulb goes yeah. on. Yeah,
1: but your original question was about resources. Yes. So, um, I think the easiest thing to say is if you come to the Adams Board website, which is A D A M H T C dot org and click on our links um, about services every service every agency that we contract with is there there's information about the project dawn kits Um, we can get you information about detox resources um, and our Adam's board is the first stop if you're not sure where to go, but you're also welcome to go to, to any of the websites of the agencies in the community. We have those that accept Medicaid. We have those that operate on a sliding fee. So if you have no income or limited income and no insurance, you still can get treatment services. So really, there's no reason why you wouldn't be able to get treatment. Um, And we have really worked hard over the last five years to move out of just that one-on-one counseling or the group to treat addiction. We have medication. We have Kathy. We have recovery housing. Um, We've really worked hard as a community and a system of care to have this full spectrum of services because not everybody, not every service is going to be a fit for everybody.
0: Natalie, um what if someone has a family member that nine o'clock friday night says i'm ready for treatment what do they do you know we staff we fund a 24
1: 7 crisis line at community mental health care and even though it's called a crisis line and even though it's community mental health care they do serve both mental health and addiction Um, and they're going to be able to set you up with some resources if it's if it's a loved one looking for information at 9 p.m on a friday that's going to be a good option for information. If you have someone who's in the midst of substance use, you really want to use that window of opportunity and get them engaged as quickly as possible. The emergency room is always an option. When agencies are open, if there's a cancellation or vacancy in someone's schedule, they will plug you in because they know that that window of opportunity is pretty small. In worst case scenario, you don't get a same day appointment and then we will figure out how to get you in as quickly as possible. But Time is of the essence. Um, You may not know where to start, but the the most important thing is just start. Pick up the phone, and if you're not sure where else to go, we don't provide services at the Adams Board, but we make it our job to know what's available in the community. So you always are welcome to start with us.
0: Very good. Well, with that, I just want to say thanks to our listeners. Um, go to the Adam's Word if you're looking for services. Kathy, thank you so much for what you're doing in the community. You're thank making you, a ladies. difference. And if you see the silhouettes in Tuscarora County, Project Hope, share it. Talk to people. Um, share what you've learned today. And um, I'd say we're in this together, right? Yes, we are. Okay. Well, well, thank you, you so much. Well, I appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> listening to this episode of the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast. Please follow us on Facebook and visit our website at adctusk.org.